Bill's from Oklahoma, and he grew up in his grandfather, the church that his grandfather, that his grandfather uh, pioneered in the 1920s. And he uh, went to university, felt God stirring his heart, so he went to Southwestern, and God called him into missions. And he has been in Africa since 1989. Amen. He's worked extensively throughout Africa for more than 30 years. And their main focus has been evangelism and church planting. And since, and since 2004, they've dedicated their lives to assisting the church in becoming truly established in the community by constructing tabernacle churches. And I'll let him explain all of that. But I want you to give him a warm summit welcome today and let him know that we appreciate him being here. Thank you, Pastor. I appreciate you. Well, what a joy and a delight it is to be in this beautiful place today. And thank you, Pastor Melinda, for allowing me to come and just trying to share with you a little bit of what God is doing in Africa. You know, we serve a God that's good in Wasilla. We serve a God that's good in Africa, the lower 48, wherever it is, but God is still on the throne no matter where we're at. And so it's just great to serve Him, and God bless you for allowing us to be here. I, uh, I want to bring you greetings uh, from a couple of people. Uh, I think you know uh, Jeff and Janelle Nelson, wonderful uh, missionary friends of ours, and so God bless you. And then a, a young lady that you sent out from this church, uh, Miss Kenzie. How many of you know Miss Kenzie? Yay. She's an awesome young lady, and so thank God for sending her. And, you know, for the time being, she's in the, in the country where we started, the country of Malawi, in preparation to go to Equatorial Guinea. But uh, she's, uh, she's doing wonderful, and so thank God for, uh, for all that you do uh, for those missionaries and so many more. Uh, and, uh, and so just uh, appreciate this, uh, this opportunity to come. Uh, I, I, I was thinking about something, Pastor, and I, I, I don't know if I should ask you or if I should ask the congregation, how many of you would like to have an African service here in Wasilla this morning? Raise your hand. <laughs> okay, uh, how many of you have roast on? Turn it off. Because we're going to be here a little while. <laughs> you know, I... Uh, as Pastor said, we've been involved in church planning, building churches, and just that pioneer spirit throughout uh, so many places in Africa. But when we when we first went out, we went to Malawi, uh, where Kinsey's at, and we uh, we after studying the language for about. Uh, uh, six long, tiring weeks, we uh, ended up going to the northern part of the country where they spoke yet a different language. And so it was, you know, was confused a little bit. But we just got right in and partnered with the, we had one local church there in the town of Mzuzu where that we lived. And so we started working with them and, and then began to branch out and do open air crusades, church planting in different places. And I remember one particular time that we, uh, that we had gone to a place where that uh, they grow tea. It was a tea estate. It was called the Kawalazi Tea Estate. How many of you drink tea? Raise your hand. May have come from Malawi. How many of you drink chai tea? Be careful what you're saying because chai is a, a Swahili word that means tea. So you're just drinking tea tea if you uh, drink chai tea. <laughs> so you got to be careful just a little bit there. 
Well, we had gone to this tea estate, and we had, uh, had gone in there uh, just for like a Friday night, a Saturday night, and then Sunday we were going back for the first main service that, to establish the church. Uh, I remember going in there on that Friday night. We had loaded up a, a Toyota double cab pickup. Now, we're not talking about a Tundra or a Tacoma, but one of those smaller ones, you know, ones that are a few years old. How many, how many of you think you know how many people fit into a Toyota double cab pickup? Had a little canopy on the back of it, so we could get a few in there. Any guesses? 20, that's a great guess, but it's off. Anybody else want to guess? Now, you got all kinds of numbers. I'm just going to give you the answer because you'll never guess. One more. (laughs) It does not matter the number you start with. There's always room for one more. We had that baby loaded down. We had gone down the, the paved highway off the side of the little mountain that was there and, and then started up a dirt road in, through the valley into where the plantation was at. We had to turn around a little bit later because during that rainy season something had happened and a bridge was totally gone. There were no warning signs. There was nothing. But fortunately some people had stopped us and we was able to unhook the trailer that had the PA system, the generator and things in it, turned around and went back up to the top of the hill and then came over the side of the hill on an old muddy dirt road we had that baby locked out the hubs were locked out had it in four-wheel drive we was just creeping down the side of that hill the trailer would go one way the pickup would go the other way and somehow we made it to the bottom and I think it was probably because we had one more person in there to help us get a little bit more traction as we went down the side of that thing but we made it in there and had services those first two nights and then went back on a Sunday morning to have that first main service we uh, we arrived about 8 eight thirty in the morning and Got everything set up and found out that as we were setting things up, they were already having church service. So they were meeting at that time in a little school classroom. And in that classroom, uh, they had, uh, I, I remember it so distinctly, it had three types of roof. Rain's coming down, remember that. Some of it was just a good tin roof. Some of it was grass, just like the old thatch you typically think of when you think of Africa. And then the rest of it was just the sky. And you know what happened when the sky was the roof? It just came right on through. Well, we had worked around that, but it had set everything up. And, and then they, they, had, they had been teaching already for about an hour, from what I understand. And then we, after, we, uh, after we got in with them, they continued on teaching, the training, you know, mentoring, discipling, whatever you'd like to call it, for about another hour or so. And then, uh, then we prepared for the main service, like, we would be in right now. The pastor from the church in town and myself and a couple of leaders who had come to help us, we slipped outside the building and talked about who was going to do what. And I was ready. I knew I was preaching, and that's really all that was on my mind. But uh, they wanted to talk about it. So we spent about 15 minutes outside uh, preparing everything. And all the time that we're outside of that building, the folks were inside singing. They sing wonderful. If you've ever been to Africa, you'd know the wonderful singing that takes place there. And usually it's not very short singing. It's long singing. So they had sang all that time. And as we walked back in, they stopped for a few moments. And then they officially started service. It was time to start service. None of that before, I guess, was service. But they started service at that point in time. So, of course, they started off with singing. And it could go for quite a while. It was interesting. One, One of the times... As, uh, as someone was there in the front leading, I, I guess someone else thought they had, had uh, led too long or something, so they just kind of walked up, pushed them to the side and said, now it's my turn, and they started leading songs for a little while. So that went on for a little while, and I don't know, a little while, probably an hour uh, minimum, and, and it was great singing, and 
Then we took some time for announcements. We didn't have wonderful video announcements out there or anything. So took time for announcements, tell people what's going on. And there's some time for testimonies. And there was time for special singing. And, you know, pastor said I grew up in Oklahoma. Do we have any other Okies here by any chance? Oh, right, that's good. You know, they teach us how to, how, to, how to count in Oklahoma. At least I thought they did until I got to Africa. And I found out it's a little bit different. So the MC would say, and now this particular group will come forward and sing one song. You know what that means? They count different in Africa than I counted in Jones, Oklahoma. <laughs> it meant that the special singing group walked forward while they were singing one song. Then when they got to the front, hopefully, they only sang one more song. And then they sang another song as they went to sit down. Every song takes, what, five minutes or so? So every group gets about 15 minutes. And I think they had six or eight groups to sing that morning. Just multiply that out. You understand what I'm saying here. Well, after all that had taken place, I think it was about 11.30 when I was able to start preaching. And I have always maintained something, Pastor, and you might want to take this practice and put it to, to use here even. I have always maintained that the preacher can preach as long as the singers can sing. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> so I was ready. I kept it short, though. I only went about an hour and a half that day. Quit laughing. <laughs> had altar call, had time for prayer for healing, salvation. People need to be filled with the Spirit, whatever their needs were. We took a good amount of time for that, and, uh, and then I thought it was time to go. I said, preacher, pastor, name was Christopher Kumwenda. I said, Pastor Christopher, can, can we go eat now? He said, it's not time. Now, you know, we preachers, we like to eat. And I like most African food. There are some things that I choose not to eat. But sometimes ignorance is bliss, too. You know. But, uh, you know, I've, I, I've stayed away from things like mice kebabs. I've intentionally not eaten any mice on a stick. Has anybody tried any of those? I was driving with one of my pastor friends one time. I was going down the road, and there were some little entrepreneurs beside the road. Little kids, they had gone out into the field and had got some mice and put them on a piece of bamboo stick and take them back to the house and boiled them for a little while. And they was out standing beside the road selling mice on a stick. I stopped for just a moment, negotiated the price, which is about a dollar for a dozen of them. Pretty good deal now. Just come on now, somebody. Bottom. And I took off. Go for a little while, and pastor's kind of getting antsy, wondering what I'm doing, what's going on there. And uh, all this time I'm thinking. And the southern in me just came out. I said, how in the world do you eat those things? Now, if you're from the south, you know that would not mean interpreted. How can you stand to eat something like that? He thought I meant, what is the process of eating them? <laughs> he says, you take them off the stick, you grab them by the tail, you tilt your head back, and you put it in. I said, do you mean to tell me you eat the fur and the claws and the meat and the lies and the teeth and everything? He said, we eat it all. I said, thank God it's you and not me. <laughs> I was not ready 
for my kebabs that day, but I was ready for some good food. I said, Pastor, can we eat now? She said, that's not all. I said, well, what else is there to do? It's 1.32 o'clock by that time. He says, well, these people, they've just got saved. They need to be baptized. I didn't see any baptismal tank around there, so I said, where are we going to do this at? He said, well, there's a river down here about a mile away. We're going to go down there. Okay, so we load the pickup up. Got one more person in there, but after a while we couldn't get one more, I'll just tell you. So we drove down there with a full load, and about 100 other people kept walking and came down there. And while, while we're waiting for them to come, I said, now, Pastor, let me ask you a question. I, I'm new to this particular area, and customs and cultures are different in different places across Africa. So how, how do you do that here? He said, oh, it's quite simple. He said, we'll sing a few songs, you'll preach, and then we'll baptize. <laughs> I only had one sermon ready for the day. But by the time they got finished singing, I had plenty of time to prepare sermon number two. So they sang, I preached, and we baptized. Can we go now? He said, that's not all. What more can there be? He said, well, they've got children. These are new converts. Their children need to be dedicated to God. So we're going to dedicate children now. How does that work? Anybody want to guess? They sang, I got sermon number three together. <laughs> preached, and then they had dedication. It was about 4, 4.30 by the time we got out of there. How many people want to have an African service? Raise your hand. Bunch of fickle people here. <laughs> you change from one to the other. But God is good. And God is moving. And for me, it does not matter how long it is or how short it is, but when he touches the hearts of people, when their souls are forgiven, their sins are removed, that's what this is all about. This is what we do. Hallelujah. <laughs> Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse number 1 says this, There is a time, there is a season for everything, every activity under heaven. When I think about the way that God plants his church, when I think about the way that he establishes his church, I think about the seasons that he has. First off, of course, I think about that season of planting. And as I think about that season of planting, I go back again to that very first place we started, the country of Malawi. And well before that we ever arrived there, I go back to the 1940s from the stories I've heard and hear about some people by the name of Morris and Macy Williams. I don't know if you remember them. Morris came at one time to Southwestern to preach, and to this day, I remember the sermon that he preached. I do not know if that's something that directed me there or not, but I can remember it to today. But I began to hear the stories of how Morris and Macy first went in there to Malawi to start the missionary work in that country. I didn't have much of a chance to ever talk to Morris himself because soon after I got into missions, he passed away. But I have had an opportunity to visit with Macy before she passed. And I asked her about what those early days were like. What it was to go in and literally pioneer something. To plant something when nothing spiritual existed there before. She told me the story of even how they first arrived there in the country and how they had to take a boat and, and sail from the U.S. and go all the way around to the eastern part of Africa near some, somewhere near Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, where they ported. And from there, they walked much of the way in inland to a, a place north of Chitipa there in Malawi to a place where missionaries had not gone. 
Said it was a long trip. It was a tiring trip. In fact, she told me there were times that she just became so tired that she couldn't go on anymore just making that trek in. It was there that she said some of the people who were helping them carry their goods in, they cut down a tree and had a little bit of a long log, probably about six inches around and probably six to eight, maybe even a little bit longer than that, that feet long, and they formed something like a hammock and physically carried her for miles upon miles just so that they could reach their destination. It was tough to get there, but when there is a call of God upon your life and you know what God is doing in your heart, you're willing, as that song, you're willing to pay the price, whatever it is. Nothing held back. They made it in there, and I remember seeing later on little black and white films of Morris Williams there uh, preaching to people, maybe eight or ten Africans just sitting around there in a semicircle in front of him where he's preaching the Word of God. He took something called the gospel of Jesus Christ to a place that had never had that, and it started from nothing. It started from that season of planting. Pastor Jose, you're going to be planting a church, and it's going to take some hard work. It's going to be difficult at some times, but let me just tell you this, and let me assure the whole church of this. If you will do what God has called you to do, if you will plant the seed, he promised that one day when that seed is watered, one day there will be a harvest. That's God's law. So don't ever give up on what you're doing, but have faith in God. Morris and Macy Williams never saw the great revival that we're having there today. They never saw that with their eyes, but they knew what God had called them to. He, they knew the plan that God had for their life, Then they was faithful to do that. You may be in a situation in your own life, friends, where you have a husband, a wife. You may have children who are not serving God. You may have friends, people that you work with who you know that Jesus is dealing with them, but something's not happening. I want to encourage you to keep on planting the seed because God's law is there. When you plant that seed, when that seed is watered, one day there will be a harvest. Don't ever give up because being faithful to God is all he calls you to. I move forward a few years and think about the next season. There was a an interesting little lady who was on the field in Malawi when we arrived. Her name was Rose Klob. She was from upstate New York, and she was a tough woman. Rose went out to Africa in her early 20s as a single lady. I guess that toughened her up. Because when she came back in her 60s, she was still a single lady. I don't think there's a man in the world that could have been married to that woman. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> she liked to shout the orders. She knew who was in charge. And next to Jesus, it was her. <laughs> we, we call her Sarge, but never to her face, if you know what I mean. <laughs> she, would have, she would have sorted us out. I'm just telling you right now. She would have sorted. But she was a wonderful lady. She's one of my heroes. Because she was herself faithful to what God had called her to do. I, uh, I remember her last Speed the Light vehicle. It was a, about a three and a half or a four ton Toyota truck. I'm not saying a pickup. I'm not talking about something with power steering and power brakes and air conditioning. and Uh-uh. This was a truck. I know what it was because 
after Rose purchased it, she said something like this to me. Billy boy, I need you to get on an airplane and you go to South Africa and you drive that truck back here to Malawi. And you know what I said? Yes, (laughs) ma'am. I did it. I drove it those several thousand kilometers just to get it back up there to Malawi. And the purpose for that truck was for Rose to build churches. Now, she would go out. She did it a little bit different than I did, but she would go out into a village area. She would concentrate on that village for a while. She'd begin having some church services, crusades, Sunday services, whatever it was, and bring people in little by little. Then after a while, she would start physically building the church. Now, she wouldn't do the, the, the laying of the blocks, but she oversaw it. What she would do is she would, she, she had this ability, it was amazing. She had the ability to see the potential in young people. And so she would start to bring them close to her. First, she would just hire them to be those people who would go with that truck out to the little brick kiln where they had handmade these bricks one by one. You have to load them up, get them on the truck to bring them back to the job site. She'd be the one who would take them with their shovels down to the local river where they would shovel out, uh, shovel out river sand just so they had something to mix to make the concrete and on and on. She would do all of that. And as, as they would work for her, she would begin to disciple them. She would begin to mentor them, whatever you want to call it. And she would bring them a bit closer. And after she had had it for the appropriate time, had done that for a while, she'd begin to have them maybe do some Sunday school teaching. Maybe working in children's church or doing something with the youth. And after the appropriate amount of time again, she'd start to have some of them maybe give short sermons or something similar to that in the main service. Would help them lead songs, do whatever. And, and, And Rose just had that ability to see the potential. And after she had gotten them to that point, as she was observing them, She would then oftentimes send one of them off, two of them off, three of them off at a time to Bible school so they could become pastors. If you would go to Malawi today, you would see that many of our church leaders there today are products of Rose Club because Rose knew what it was to be faithful in watering those seeds which were planted. And to help them mature from just something little into something big. You would see that today. In fact, one of the people that she had influence on there in in Malawi is a man who was about a year and a half ago was elected the president of the country. Not of the church, but of the country. You see, God has a way of using people when they are faithful to his calling. You see, there's something wonderful and horrible, if I can say it in the same words, about Rose Club. Rose never had the chance to see the revival take place. She never had the chance to see Lazarus Chalkware being voted in as president because soon after she come home to the U.S., after spending all those years in Africa, she was diagnosed with cancer and soon thereafter died. It's a horrible thing, but the legacy lives on because she was faithful to do what God had called her to do. You may be in a situation yourself where that you're, in that, that season of watering. It may be that you're teaching young people. It may be that you don't see 
what their future can be like as you begin to mentor them. It may be some of those children's workers that are working right now taking care of the kids. They do not know what those kids can become. But because they're faithful, we will yet see how God will use those young people who were taught by somebody just like you because they're faithful. Rose may never have been out in the forefront. She may have never stood on the great stages of Africa, but Rose was faithful. I encourage you, friend, be faithful where God has called you. And I move forward even to, to now and see that we are in this amazing time of harvest in so many places in Africa. We have seen now almost 83,000 churches established across the continent. There in Malawi, since we're referring to it so much this morning, when we first went there in 1989, we had officially 202 Assemblies of God churches now. If you will, you will get the numbers from them, depending upon who you talk to, we have somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,500 churches in that one country alone. God is pouring out His Spirit because, indeed, it's harvest time. The ministry that we're involved in called Africa Tabernacle Evangelism, as pastors briefly talked about, is where we go in alongside churches that have recently been established in most cases. And we help them put up a very simple, basic steel structure that becomes their church building. Then after we have put that simple metal structure up, we just put the, the trusses, the roof on, then that local church will come back and they will build their walls. They will put in their floor. They'll, they'll put their, their doors and windows in. They will fix it to whatever their local specifications are. And then they have their church building themselves. And what we often see is from when we go in there, to put that building up, which incidentally only takes a few hours. Literally, I think our record time to put one of these buildings up is two hours and 15 minutes. That's a challenge to you, by the way. Get a team together. Come on. I'm just telling you. Come to Africa with us. Underwrite a church or two, and we'll see what you can do. But we get these churches put up in just literally a few hours. And from one Sunday to the next, we often see, in fact, the norm is that we see a church literally double in size in one week's time. Why does that happen? Because suddenly within that community, the church has legitimacy. There are, unfortunately, all kinds of crazy and, if I may be so bold as to say, stupid doctrines that are being preached there, oftentimes by Western preachers. I, I, I've heard of a couple. Let me just share a couple with you really quick. One that I named the stinking sock doctrine. Because I was told by people in the church about this. They said this guy came through and preached and preached if your socks stunk, you couldn't be saved, you couldn't be holy, you couldn't be born again. I hope we will not have an inspection this morning or any sniffing contest. That's crazy. There was another one, I was talking to some guys who were walking by my house one time, just went out and started visiting with them. They were talking about the church that they went to, and, and theirs was this. You could have, I believe it was three wives, but when you got number four, that was sin. Where does this stuff come from? I don't even know. But when we get there, when we put this church up, Suddenly, there's legitimacy in the community. People come. They listen. They hear the preaching of the word. Their hearts are changed. 
and the church just grows exponentially. That's what's happening there. So we are putting these churches up across the continent. I've been in 40 countries so far now, putting these up, done about 3,500 churches, and that's all wonderful and good, but I just have to tell you that of the 83,000 churches that we still have in, or that we have in Africa, about 27,000, about a third of them don't have a place to worship themselves, and so we're coming alongside them. I have to tell you one story really quick before I, before I go on and finish up. Not always do we put it up where there's an established church. There are times when we step out in faith and go to a place where nothing exists. We build a building, and then the church begins. Not very long ago in Madagascar, the big island off of the east coast of Africa. Yes, it's more than a movie, by the way. It is a country. It really is. We had been in there putting up several tabernacles in places where there were established churches, and we were getting down to the last one that we were going to be able to put up on that trip, and I, I, uh, I began to query where we were going to, to put that next one, and they said, well, it's out towards the Bible school. We have a nice Bible school there, but probably two to three miles away, and up on the side of a mountain, actually at the top of a little mountain before it goes on up into some higher mountains there, uh, they wanted to plant a church there. They said, we have no congregation there, but this is where we want to put this next church church building. And I have to admit, I was a, I was a bit uh, taken back by the fact that that's where they wanted to do it and why they wanted to do it without even one church member there. But, you know, you, you, you depend upon your leaders in those local countries to help you understand and know what's best. And so we went out and on a Saturday, literally a Saturday, we put it up, took a few hours again. We left there and on Sunday we were going to another church to worship with them and weren't going to that particular place. And we asked, uh, how things had gone, and we received a call uh, as we were at, at lunch. It was a late lunch, but we received a call from, uh, from the pastor uh, who was overseeing the church plant. Actually, he was a Bible school professor, one of the teachers at our Bible school that was there, you know, a couple miles away from this. He, so the, the Bible school professor had gone, and he had taken another local pastor with him and a Bible school student. There were three of them that went up to that place to, to establish this church. And they had gotten there a little bit early and had invited people to come. And that early afternoon is when they had the service. They, they, they said they had a total of 21 people that showed up. And that was including the three of them. said we had service, preached, sang, invited people to the altar. And when the altar call was given, 18 people came forward for salvation. If you count, it, if my math is right, that's everybody except the three that went there to start the church. And that's the type of thing that can happen as we partner together. So as we look at the wonderful things that are happening, I have to ask you this. You might be asking me even what's left to do. I have to tell you that while these great things have happened, there are still 867 unreached people groups across that continent. That means that less than 2% of the people of that tribe, of that ethnic group, are evangelical Christians, and that's what, how they're considered an unreached people group. I have to tell you that there are 22 countries of the approximate 50 countries that are in Africa that today don't have one missionary from the Assemblies of God in the USA there. I have to tell you even as well that the thing that probably... Stirs my heart the most. 
that helps me to keep doing what I'm doing is this next thing. 199 million people, 484,190 people from the stats that we've received have no access to the gospel. Key word there is access. It's not that they've heard and refused. It's not that they know about Jesus, but they have no access. That's what's left to do. What we're trying to do there in Africa is to plant a church, a healthy, vibrant, Holy Spirit-filled church within walking distance of every person in Africa. It's a big job. It's a big goal. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, it will be impossible to do. But with the Holy Spirit helping us as we train others, as we train Africans, as some of you respond to say, I'll go, I believe that we can accomplish this. We can't do it alone. We depend upon people like you who will come, who will go along with us, who will give their life to missions. A trip is great. A lifetime is better. So what's going to happen? Now I'm 63 years old. I don't have that many years left. Who's going to fill these shoes? Maybe it will be you. Maybe it will be you who will take up the mantle. God is speaking to you. I want to encourage you. Say yes. I want to take just a few moments to show you a quick two, two and a half minute video. Kind of give you a visual of what we've been doing. Then I'm going to come back and wrap it up with one story about something in Africa. Imagine with me a healthy church within walking distance of every person in Africa. This is our vision, and by the work of the Holy Spirit, people are coming to Jesus and churches are being planted across the continent of Africa. But along with the growth of the church in Africa comes a need. For many African congregations, having a permanent church building to meet in is too costly due to their limited resources. Africa Tabernacle Evangelism began in 1991 in response to this need. Since then, Africa Tabernacle Evangelism has helped construct almost 3,500 buildings. Partnership is crucial. Africa Tabernacle Evangelism provides the basic framework and roof while the local church will then finish the walls and floor. Teams also come from the USA to work alongside our African brothers and sisters during the construction process. It's a beautiful display of partnership and unity for the glory of God. In fact, many churches even double in size within one week of a tabernacle being built. It's been a real uh, joy for uh, the team from First Assembly in Rockford to be here on site in Togo working with the Tabernacle, the tabernacle Evangelism. And um, those two things are coming together in a very powerful way because the tabernacle creates a venue for evangelism to take place. 
The African Assemblies of God has grown to over 83,000 local congregations. And as a result, there's a great need for tabernacles to be built. Financial support to purchase and ship building supplies is needed. Would you engage in this work that has such a great influence on a community? Congregations are waiting for you. And I just want to say a word of thanks to all the churches and people in America who have given and made this possible. Uh, this is one of 800 churches in Togo, and probably only half of them have an adequate place to worship. And so this work is going to be a huge blessing to the church here in Togo. It is in working together with the churches in Africa that we will have the most impact. Will you partner with us to provide building materials for a new church? Will you partner with our African brothers and sisters as they spread the gospel in their area? Will you be a kingdom builder? Together, we can change the face of Africa. Just outside the capital city of Zimbabwe, a place called Harare, we had gone to build one of these tabernacles. This uh, was kind of a unique place. Most of our buildings are only about 35 feet by 45 feet. We'll seat 250, 300 people in there, but this place was a large place. It was a growing place, and we felt the need to build an expanded size tabernacle, and consequently that took us a few days. The pastor of that church is a wonderful friend by the name of Sungai Chinyama. Chinyama had a, a story himself. He was raised in really what would be considered a cult. Uh, and he was a smart man. He was a, 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 a nice-looking guy. He had a good stature, and he was actually being groomed to be one of the next leaders of this cult, which was pretty widespread, thousands of people, literally. He uh, went to a Bible study, and study that night was about the prodigal son, and he felt that the Scripture spoke to him that he was that prodigal son, Gave his life to Jesus Christ uh, that very evening and went home and was so excited. And he told his family, who were, again, a part of this cult, of what had happened to him. And they just began to laugh at him, thinking he was, literally, thinking he was drunk. That something crazy had happened and he'd get over it in a few days. Well, needless to say, he didn't. And uh, he began to be physically beaten. His teeth were knocked out. He was kicked out of his house, kicked off the property and had to go live with a friend for a little while, but God had done a work in his life, and he felt called into ministry, went to Bible school, and then he started a little church, and he, uh, he only had a place, well, it was his house, to meet in for a little while, and they had grown to about 60 people in, in his little front room, and that was a lot of folks. I'll tell you, I've been there, I've been sitting literally on a, on a, on a chair, and I've had people sitting on my feet. It was that tight in there, and so we wanted to go and help him build a church. He hadn't been able to get uh, property for a long time, but suddenly God worked a miracle, and right behind his house, literally, some property became available. And so we wanted to go and help him and went in with a team to, to build this tabernacle. And as is the norm when, when these buildings are going up, uh, our African friends who live in the community, they'll be walking by. They'll stop for a little while, look, and see what's happening there, and go about their way, maybe come back a time or two during the day. It depends upon what their schedule is, whether they're off to work or just going to the market or whatever it is. But they'll stop and look. They'll see the progress. They'll chat a bit about it and then move on. But there was one man who was constantly on that little dusty, dirty road right there in front of that tabernacle, just constantly walking back and forth and back and forth. And 
There was something about that man that was different. This is not going to be politically correct, so forgive me, but I don't know any other way to say it. He was a crazy man. He had lost his mind. Found out later that he had been a school teacher at one time and something had happened. Don't know what, don't know how it was. He lived on the streets. His clothes were tattered and torn. They were horribly dirty, unwashed. Who knows the last time this man had even taken a bath himself. His hair was all matted. He was a crazy man, had no, no facilities about him at all. But as he watched that, I wish I could say it was me. It was not. It was one of my fellow missionaries who was there working on the job. Walked out to that little road to meet him. Something you don't normally do because these people could go violent in a moment's time for no reason at all. But he went out. He introduced himself. He said, my name is Dean. I'd like to invite you to come to the service tonight because of taking several days. We're having services at night. So I'd like to invite you to come. And somehow, in just that moment's time, there was enough comprehension of that invitation that it stuck with him. Till that evening, when the service was happening, music had just started, and in walks this crazy man. Walks right up to the front, takes a seat right up on that front row, he sits there throughout the service. No commotion, no problems at all. He listens to the singing. He listens to the preaching. And when the altar call was given, one of the first people to stand up, make their way forward, was that man by the name of Levi Chihomway. He walked forward just a few steps. And in the moments that followed, Something miraculous took place. God gave him again his mental facilities for that moment. And he accepted Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior. His sins were forgiven in that moment's time. But something else took place too. As he was there at the front, in his right mind for those few moments, Another miracle took place, and that was his mind in that moment. In an instant moment, instantaneously, I can now overemphasize that. God miraculously gave him his mind back. There was something about it, friends. As the Word tells us, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. God doesn't do things half-hearted. He does them to the full extent. And I want to tell you, friends, that man stayed in the church. He was discipled for the appropriate amount of time. He ended up becoming a Sunday school teacher. A little bit later, he became a deacon in the church. And the last I heard, Levi C. Homeway was off to Bible school to become a pastor. If any man be in Christ, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. That's what it's all about. That's why I keep on doing what I do. I received a call from God to go. But it's because of Levi. People just like him. I keep, keep on doing it. You may be in this service this morning. You may not 
have the same level of issues that Levi had there. But you may be bound by something. Something might be happening in your life and you just don't understand why it's that way or how you can get out from underneath it. But let me tell you this morning, the same Jesus that touched Levi to homeway is in this place today and he's here to touch you. Now, Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, that you are here in this place and that you can do exceedingly and abundantly far above and beyond that which we could ever ask or think. I pray, Lord God, if there's one person in this place that needs deliverance, that needs salvation, that today will be their day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.